This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihew from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. All right, everybody out there in listener land, this is episode 17 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We are back again this week. I'm your host, Tucker Merrihew. I'm here with my co-host in our virtual studio, Steve Nassar. What's happening, Steve-O? Tucker, everything is going well over here. A lot of rain and wind outside. We're back to Oregon weather. Yeah, I wanted to to kill multiple people on the way in this morning. Traffic was (laughs) the worst it's ever been on the way to the office. I think it was partly because this is the first big rainstorm during the work week we've had of the year and i think everybody forgot what it's like to drive in the rain yeah yeah you, you would think they wouldn't do that given our winters but we do have a lot of californians moving here and they uh typically move in the summer that's when they fall in love here yeah. we'll see if we lose any over the winter then, <laughs> it yeah. inevitably they, happens here and there then they develop their love-hate relationship in the wintertime yeah so in this episode, just for all our listeners to know, we've got joe back from masters of real estate we're going to jump in with him here in a minute joe thanks for joining us though We're going to talk about a topic that uh, is probably highly entertaining for most people listening, and that is annoying things that realtors shouldn't do, basically. And, you know, I'm not trying to poke fun at all realtors out there. We're just trying to make everybody that listens a better realtor by listening to that segment. But before we get into that, we normally do a market action episode, but this week we thought we'd tie it in to, you know, having Joe on the show and kind of talk about all of our businesses a little bit and how the market action report is reflective in what's really going on out in the real estate trenches. And so... Steve, do you want to uh, start it off with, uh, first of all, what's going on with the uh, market? And second of all, how do you think that you know reflects in what you've got going on pipeline-wise? Well, so we've had a couple good weeks. And I don't know if that's 100% correlated to what the general market is doing. We might just be fortunate. And there were times when the market was great and when we were a little quieter. So that things can go a little bit disconnected from, from what's actually happening in the market. But in looking at the data for the market action report, it seems like there's more of the same. It, it shows signs of a slowing. One of the things I noticed, you and I have been paying attention to every one of these as they come out, Tucker, and across the board for you know September, August, July, I mean, as long as we've really been focusing on these and tearing into them, we've been seeing that 2015 has just been kicking the butt of 2014. And I noticed one piece of information here that didn't do that, and that was new listings in October. New listings fared similarly, ending 6.3% ahead of October 2014. So that actually isn't in line. I mean, for a lot of the other months that we've been looking at, we were seeing double-digit improvements over 2014, so that was interesting. It seems like there is a little bit of a slowdown in new listings hitting the market. How about you, Tucker? What, what did well, you? Well, I'm going to bring there? Joe in. I want to hear what Joe has to say. He's, you know, you guys are dealing with the consumer, you know, and actually prepping them for what's coming in or not coming in on their houses. So I'm, I'm really interested in what Joe has to say and how this, this report of 1.8 months of inventory for the month of October is reflective in his pipeline of, of deals and listings. Well, if you look at the year on a wavelength graph, traditionally, the summertime, there's lots of transfer of title. And seasonally, this time every year is a big slowing. So that's expected. However, 
every year there's one month I have where I'm running around with my hair on fire and there's just not enough of me to do what I need to do. And ironically, it happens to be this month. And I think what attributes to some of that is I think we have 1.8 months of inventory, which is the supply and demand balance. There just isn't a lot of supply. There's still a demand. And knowing that the rates are most likely going to kick up in January, I think people are very, very motivated to get a house. And there's not very many to, to choose from. In a healthy market, we have seven months of inventory. And years back at our worst, we had 14 or 16 months of inventory during the bad times. So I think there's a good mix. I think the CFPB changes with TRID are kind of slowing things down too. People are not understanding it, not getting their arms around it. So still an absolutely outstanding market, I believe, for both sellers and buyers, being that we have the lowest rates for buyers and not a lot of inventory, which is good for sellers. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, one interesting stat that I saw is that, and Steve, you brought this up, that new listings went down and pending sales went up, which to me are kind of forward indicators of what's to come. I think that means that our inventory levels for November, which basically right now when they come out next month, I think it's actually going to be lower than 1.8 months just because those are kind of the forward indicators that I watch. And then comparing it back. So we've talked about last year, Steve, right? There didn't seem to be much of a slowdown because the market was so hot. But if you compare the numbers from this year to last year, and this year does feel different, but numbers-wise, you know, we're, what is it, 20.8% better uh, when it comes to pending sales in October of this year versus October last year. I mean, that seems pretty crazy statistic-wise based on how we actually feel the market is, right? Exactly. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. That's a that's a massive difference from a year of, over year. And that and that wasn't you know, that's not a comparison to last year's summer. That's the exact same month last year. So there's no seasonality being affected in there. Yeah, it's apples to apples, which, yep. you know, I, and, you know, like we talked about in a, in a previous show, you know, I thought the market might have been slowing a little bit. And I think certain neighborhoods, maybe that super aggressive, each neighbor's trying to one up each other. It stopped in certain neighborhoods. But I don't think it stopped the buying, right? I think there was maybe a little bit of a, you know, aggressiveness that had to be curbed price-wise on what people were asking. But as long as you were hitting that price point that, you know, agents and buyers still deemed as reasonable, stuff is moving lickety-split. At least that's been my experience. And I'm sure your pipeline's probably similar, Steve. Yeah. And here's another conversation that I've been having a lot lately with sellers who are, you know, there's this inherent, I'm going to call it a mistake, that sellers make where they're trying to time the top of the market, okay? And that is incredibly problematic, and there's a simple reason why. You don't get to liquidate with a push of a button. There's a process to selling a house. So you better believe that when the market shows any signs of a topping off or a flattening, it's way too late to sell your house and realize those gains. Because here's what exactly will happen when that moment arrives. Thousands of houses with thousands of sellers who are waiting for that moment will flood the market. And they will sit there and pricing will soften dramatically. It's far better to sell too early than too late in trying to time the top of market. And I keep having these conversations with sellers. I mean, the inventory is low. I also say this, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. I don't like that. Try to, that all time. Don't try to wait too long because it, you've missed the boat if you do. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And, 
And Joe, I'm just curious because in conversation heard that you know you've got a higher end property that you're trying to go into contract with here. How do you feel like the higher end market is doing right now, based on your experience with maybe this and other ones? I don't know what else you have in your pipeline higher end, but I'm curious your take on it. Well, it's all about price. It's impossible with this low inventory to hide a good listing. I mean, you just can't. And what I find funny is the realtors and the lenders and the sharp pencils out there who are in this industry, we know about the market and market trends six months prior to the general public. So we've had three outstanding years of real estate. In November, I listed something that was on the market for four days. And the other day I presented two offers and the seller kind of looks at you and they blink and they, and they say, well, gosh, only two offers. I mean, gosh, what happened to, you know, a dozen offers. So there's a learning curve for the general public sellers and buyers. I think uh, it's a price point. Real estate doesn't slow down for life. So if you have something that's a house and it's priced and marketed correctly, you will get a buyer and probably fairly quickly. Yeah, I think you're right. And just for our listeners and and you guys on the call too, just to kind of compare apples to apples. So for the last three years, you know, 2013 was good. 2014 was bananas. And this year has been really strong too. But the inventory levels for the last three years as of October were 3.4 months in 2013, 2.8 months last year, and 1.8 months this year. So the largest drop and change in a good direction as far as if you have inventory to sell has been over the last 12 months. So, you know, it's just, it's crazy where inventory is. And I think we're at a catch 22, you know, as far as people needing to find a place to go in order to be able to sell their house and put more inventory on the market. We've talked about it on previous shows with the UGB and just having more you know, housing that doesn't have a current owner on the market in a large amount at any given time is not going to happen anytime soon. It's just not going to happen. So you've got this catch-22 of needing a place to go before you sell the place you're in. And I think that that's going to just kind of continue to put the stranglehold on the uh, on the inventory that we're going to see. I don't think it's going to stay at the 1.8-month level, but to get up to that six or seven months like you're talking about, Joe, it's going to be tough, I think, in, in the upcoming six to eight months or, or even longer. It'll be tough. And that's not going to be good inventory either. When our inventory starts building, it usually starts building when sellers get greedy and they think, gee, you know, stick a sign in your yard, you get a dozen offers and they start pioneering new prices and those don't sell. And while those sit on the market, new ones are coming on the market and they're maybe using that house down the street and mine's much better than that house for their pricing. And so when we build this inventory, it's inventory of inflated prices and you start seeing longer days on the market, more price reductions. So it's this fun game we play, huh? Yeah. It reminds me of that. Isn't there that folk tale about the king with no clothes on? And right. uh, he's just walking around and everyone's like pretending that they're, they're not witnessing that. But it's kind of the same thing with prices. I mean, everybody's just looking around and they're like, yeah, this is the price. I mean, he's got it. My, like you said, Joe, my house is better. So that's my price. And then someone's looking at their house and going, well, mine's better. And, that, and so I'm going to be higher than them. But that can be a really, really challenging situation when markets self-correct like that. And they do inherently. We've yeah, got- I agree. Just one last stat here and then a quick story and we can segue. But the average sales price from October 2014 to October 2015 rose in whole across the Portland metro area 6.1%, which you know we've talked about percentage increases, Steve. To me, that seems like a safe number, even if it's overinflated 2 or 3%. So what market gives back 2 or 3%? No big deal. Nobody's going to get crushed, right? 
So if it was up like 9, 12, 13%, I would be a little worried overall. I do think there's neighborhoods that, again, the neighbors have pushed and pushed and pushed in what they consider the value to be of their houses as they continue to sell them. And they are selling, which allows, you know, the musical chair game to keep going. But, you know, one quick story is up in Northeast Portland, we sold a house, oh, three years ago, three and a half years ago now. And we sold it for about 440 and it was a renovated nice home. I got an email from the previous buyer's agent this last week because she needed some paperwork from us. That same house just sold for 640 and no additional renovation, no additional square footage. It was in the Rose City neighborhood. And, you know, that neighborhood's gotten better. But percentage-wise, two hundred grand on 440 that, that seems bananas to me. It's a little yeah. bananas. So food for thought on that yep. one. All right, well, we'll wrap up Market Action Report. Bottom line is, uh, you know, market's staying strong. Inventory's low. Whether or not it goes up much in the upcoming future will remain to be seen. But I think the uh, general consensus is is that it's going to be a slow ride back up inventory-wise, at least for the next few months. So the next segment that uh, hopefully is highly entertaining for everybody out there in listener and I think it'll be highly entertaining for uh, myself and you guys as well. I kind of want to tie it into some of the things that were mentioned in Masters over the last month. Um, we're not going to talk about specific posts per se, but there's been a lot of, uh, or not a lot, but a few posts, uh, basically gripes that people have had in the way that other realtors are conducting themselves or, or treating their business. And so the topic is going to be basically annoying bleep that realtors do, right? Or I'll say it again, Dan, you can bleep it out. Annoying <laughs> that realtors do. And so I've got a list and, you know, I, I'll obviously chime in as well. But, you know, you guys are dealing with realtors every day. You know, obviously we're not looking to bash people individually here. We're trying to give people tips on how do you conduct yourself better? How do you run a better business? And ultimately, how can you be the best realtor that you can be? So, Steve, why don't you kick it off? What is one of the more annoying things you've dealt with, whether it be lately or in the last few months, that uh, another realtor has done a transaction that you wish nobody would ever do again? (laughs) Are you ready for this? Here, let me unscroll my list. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) So I think really the biggest challenges that we encounter with regards to our interactions with realtors just pertain to communication in general. And if you really stop and analyze what makes a great realtor and what makes a terrible realtor, I think the number one thing is communication. And that is with regards to their clients, of course, largely, but also with the other brokers. So some of the most frustrating experiences we've had and where we've just been beside ourselves with regards to a particular agent has been those situations where we're working with a buyer and we show them a property. They love it. They get emotionally attached to it. They want it. We're reaching out to the broker to ask if there's other interest or offers and let them know we have interest and we want to make an offer. And we just hear crickets. And we email, we call, we text. And I did actually see this recently on Masters. I want to say within the last week or two, there was a post like this about this where an agent said something similar happened to her and no communication and next thing she knows, it's pending (laughs) in the system. And that just can't happen, guys. I mean, that's because here's what it does. It makes us look terrible to our clients, right? We can't communicate effectively with our client if we're not being communicated effectively by the other side. I will tell you when that does happen to us and when it happens to other brokers, your best practice is to communicate the lack of communication to the client. In other words, reach out to the client and say, look, we're doing everything. Here's what I've done. I'm not hearing back. I'm sorry. I wish there was a way I could fix that. 
it's important that I give you good communication and good service, but it's <laughs> I can't fix it when the other side isn't doing that with me. So I would say that's one of my biggest gripes. I have a couple more, but let's let you guys go on with what you think. Joe, what's at the top of your list? Well, I have to agree with Steve. I uh, jotted down a few notes here, and correspondence is far and away the, the most important of anything. And what I tell my clients and customers that if anyone in the transaction isn't professional, it makes it infinitely more difficult to close that transaction. And that's when you have realtors going MIA. So trying to get a hold of that listing agent and let them know that you have an offer. I mean, we almost have to do a little CSI here with you call them and you text them and you email them and then with no response then you message them on Facebook and then maybe you call their office number and it gets transferred so they see that number or maybe you call their mobile and you mask your number so it comes from like a private ID your hope is if this yo-yo isn't gonna answer their phone maybe they will if they think you're a potential buyer calling them on a sign and it's just getting in touch with people and that's huge for me. So everything I have gripes about is based on correspondence. Like, for example, I got an offer the other day that was just emailed to me. I just flat out emailed. No call, no nothing, just there's an offer in my email. I get 175 emails a day. To get an offer and not follow up with a phone call or a text, that's ridiculous to me. And, and they're doing the worst job for their buyer also on correspondence and communication, there's a little bit of, you know, the old carpenter's cliche, you know, measure twice, cut once, right? It's the same way with real estate. You got to understand there's so much to know that you can't just decipher from the listing. What are the sellers doing? What's their timeline? Where are they going? When do they have to be there? So quite frankly, if I get another offer, if I have a, a 5,000 square foot home with a family of five and two pets living there and they come in with a 35 day close and they want possession on the day of recording, I mean, that's a guaranteed counter. And if you look at the strategy, whenever, you know, your pen in hand, so if ever there's something that has to be changed, your pen in hand, well, as long as you're doing it, hey, we're going to bump up the price 10 grand and we're going to shorten their professional inspection period. But if their offer was a little better out of the chute, just flat out acceptable, then we would click accept. But there's a conversation that has to happen, such as who's your preferred escrow company and your preferred closer and how much time does the seller need and what are some things that could be included in the sale that aren't in the listing. So Correspondence and communication is the number one, whether you're on the listing side or selling side. Joe, I want to speak to that real quick. That never ceases to blow me away. We call that an offer falling out of the sky, right? You just, you don't even know they showed it. They haven't communicated with you. And all of a sudden it's in your inbox. And I am always really leery of those offers. It's, it kind of goes along with the saying, easy come, easy go. If there wasn't the need to communicate their excitement or ask questions, the right questions, you got to wonder if they're going to quickly disappear as quickly as they appeared, right? So we get pretty spooked by that. And if the buyer really loves the home, shame on that broker for not, you know, doing a better job because 
that really puts that buyer to in a bad situation. I agree. I think that you know the resounding number one thing, and I'll be echoing this to some extent, is is the communication aspect of being a realtor. And you know, I think with us, we dealt with tons of realtors around town. Being that you know we're in the business of basically selling retail homes, and so you know the number one thing that drives us bat crazy is like you said, Steve. Why in the world would you send an offer over without a call? But I think the root of that goes back to one thing and that thing is the lack of having any real sales skills and i think the major reason for that and you guys can correct me if you think i'm wrong is that you know you go through your realtor training course in order to get your license and there's a whole lot on ethics a whole lot on ethics but there's absolutely nothing tangible in terms of sales training and and so you get people that get into real estate that have no sales training whatsoever or haven't been in a sales job before and now you're in an outside sales job right and so you're dealing with high dollar transactions, lots of emotions, and you have no sales skills. So then you get offers that show up in your inbox without a phone call or uh, feeling out the listing or trying to do their client a service by at least talking to you and lobbying for you to accept their offer, right? Because that's their job is to make you feel like they're the most special one and they need to pick you. And to send a piece of paper without any sort of a phone call, A, it shows that you don't have any sales skills, but B, you're not communicating the human element, which is a huge aspect of the real estate business. And so to think that that's how this works. It just boggles my mind. And I just, I can't imagine that there's, I mean, I know there's, there's real estate companies out there that don't teach their agents how to sell, but my God, I know you guys do, but it just, it drives me bananas that people are literally without any sales skills. And, and that translates into personality defects that they let come through in their, in their conversations with you, or just things that like, let's say I call you, Steve. And generally if Steve's busy, right, you don't pick up the phone. Chris has called many, many agents over the years that pick up the phone and they say, I can't talk right now. I'm in an important business meeting. Well, why the F did you pick up the phone? Voicemail, right? You obviously don't recognize the number. It's not your daughter, your son, your husband or whatever. Why would you pick it up and tell them that? It just, to me, that screams, you have no sales skills and you have a little tact and you need to learn those things. And as you learn those, ultimately you will become a better agent. Thoughts, Steve? Yeah. So along the lines of communication, I'm going to segue over to emails. Okay. Here and now today, in 2015, I think the, uh, I'm going to be careful how I say this, but the most important communication occurs, uh, the most prevalent form of communication is by email. Maybe that's the better way to say it. I think any broker will agree that take the number of phone conversations they have or even in-person meetings they have on average day, and they probably sent 50 times more emails. Right. I mean, that's just a, the reality of the situation. So get good at emails, people. <laughs> Spend some time. Master writing a couple suggestions. Don't ever email in all caps. Don't ever email in all lower cases. <laughs> Don't email like you text. Don't use similar acronyms as when you text in an official email. And an official email is anything, you know, with a client that, you know, is carrying an important message that needs to look professional. The same with other brokers. I think I've actually posted on Masters in Real Estate about these brokers who send these mass emails out and they visibly copy a thousand or more brokers. I don't even care if it's a hundred or more brokers. That's just too many people. You lose control of that email. The, the second you send click, any one of those people on the receiving end now can reply all, either on purpose or accidentally, and you've lost the ability to control that. It's real simple. Put them in the BCC, and the only person they can reply to is you. Here's another one last 
pet peeve with email etiquette, okay? If you are BCC'd on an email, do not reply all. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten on... This one gets a lot of people. I get it. But if you stop and think about it, there is a reason you were BCC'd and not visibly copied. It was not intended for you to be known that you are seeing what is in that email or they would have visibly copied you. So when you reply all and make your presence known as a secret little peeper on that email, you jeopardize the position of the person that BCC'd you. And you don't know why they didn't BCC you, so don't make that mistake. <laughs> I think you make great points. Joe, what do you think? Well, so we got to look at this at 50,000 feet, you know, our biggest gripes, right? If we went and talked about a showing broker or tracking in mud and leaving a, a slider unlocked and forgetting to leave a card and all that stuff, this would be a 12-hour podcast and we probably, unfortunately, wouldn't even scrape the surface. <laughs> so if you look at it from the macro, number one, being communication and correspondence. The other thing, whether you're a listing agent or working with a buyer, you should make it very easy to sell. You should make, if you're a listing agent, make your listing easier to sell than absolutely any other listing. So I do a courtesy. I mean, if someone's out of town and, and they call and they say, Joe, I'm in Hawaii. I got a buyer that loves the house and I just, I can't get anyone to, to show them. Could you do it? I'll show them the house. I'll write the offer for them. I'll put that broker's name as selling agent. It's that simple. Make it easy to sell. And that goes hand in hand with, you know, an outstanding marketing plan and educating the sellers as well. But make it easy to sell. If you're working with a buyer and you're bringing an offer, and especially in a competitive situation, there's a little bit of forward thinking and anticipation on that as well. Find out what the buyer's needs are find out their timeline. The highest price doesn't always sell the house. I mean, price and terms are on a balance. And, you know, the higher the price, great, but terms are pretty important for people too. And sometimes they they need more time or they need a quicker close or they like the way it's being financed better. And maybe it isn't the highest price, but if they like the offer and like you, and you took the time to find out what was behind the curtain, then you can tailor an offer to them and make it easier for them to accept your offer. So I think a little bit of forward thinking and anticipation. One more thing on that, I have a mid-century home in, in West Lynn that was on the market for a short period of time, but there's things you need to provide people. And I put together this 60-page PDF of all the improvements that have been done since this summer and oil tank certifications and floodplain maps and you name it. And Steve, that's also on Holly Street, just on the other end of the street from the one we sold uh, earlier this year. You want me to bring you another smooth buyer? <laughs> it, it's already done. We got uh, uh, one in first position and one in the waiting lounge. Oh, so. good for you. Good for you. You and I need to have a smooth one one of these days. And it's yeah. been no fault of our own. We know that. It's just exactly. man, the stars have not aligned when we come together in a transaction. <laughs> that, that is true. You know, fortunately, and kudos to you, there were 99 ways that those deals could have blown up. And there was only one way to make it work. And we found the way every I time. So couldn't agree more. I, I truly couldn't. 
Yep. I think I think that makes a great point because the reason why, and I don't know the specifics behind this deal or any of the others you guys have done together, but I think the reason why it probably worked out, it goes back to communication, right? You guys obviously communicated well together. There wasn't an adversarial relationship, and you were also able to communicate with your clients, which goes back to just having good sales skills, which you have to be a good communicator to have good sales skills. So I think that's the biggest void, really, is just having you know some social graces and good communication skills. And if you have those... You'll figure out the details as a realtor. You really will. But I think that's the foundation that you really need not to annoy the shit out of people, to be honest. Yeah. And, and you have to have leadership skills with your client. You know, I think if you took most brokers, you could divide them into two categories. Those who guide their client and those who follow their client. The ones who follow their client are afraid. They let the client manage the transaction. The client tells them, I don't want to do this. And they're like, OK, what do you want to do? Obviously, there's a right way to lead them. It's not going to be a dictatorial process. It's not going to be an abrasive process, but it's leading them through communication. It's leading them through education, and it's managing them and keeping them on the right path. Now, there are clients that are very difficult in that regard, (laughs) and nobody could keep them on the right path. And truth be told, those are clients you probably should try to identify that as early as possible and not work with. But that aside, I mean, most clients you can and you you have to find out how to do that. And the brokers that have good transactions in general are the ones that are able to do that. And Joe and I have been able to do that in one situation for sure that were very difficult to manage, but we compensated for it. And we we did the darn best that we could given the uh, situation. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point, Stephen. Just to kind of further illustrate that, and and Joe can probably tell his experience with this as well. But so, for example, we were we did Street of Dreams a couple of years ago, right? And in doing Street of Dreams, of course, you get everybody that comes out looking at those houses to buy them that are generally pretty self-important people. That's just the nature of who buys those houses. Fortunately, we sold to some people that were very nice, and they weren't necessarily that way. But we had a realtor ahead of time who. During the show, you know how it is, Steve. It's it's mayhem, and they wanted to have a private after-hours sh- or a private showing during the show hours for the house because they didn't want to have to walk their client through because they thought he was so recognizable. He didn't want to have to be bothered by people coming up to him. So I'm thinking, okay, who is this, right? Maybe it's Terry Stotts because it was the year he first moved here or something like that. Well, long story short, it wasn't Terry Stotts at all. It was the CEO of a company here in town that nobody would recognize ever. <laughs> like he could be in a room of, you know. 20,000 Portlanders and not maybe one person would recognize him. Nobody would ask him for an autograph and nobody would pester him. But that's a good point of this realtor let the client run the show instead of saying, dude, nobody's going to recognize you. Come on, let's let's just be real here, right? I mean, or just it'll be okay. We can handle it. But they let this guy, and it wasn't really him. It was more his wife run the show. But long story short, they never bought the house. It was a complete waste of time. And then I saw recently they listed their home, and I'm sure this broker was really trying to vie for their attention because ultimately he wanted some of their business. They listed their home. It was a multi-million dollar home. They didn't use them to list it. <laughs> so, you know, it just goes back to you got to get respect from your clients too, right? You can't let them lead you around everywhere and you're just their yes man or, you know, whatever because they don't have respect for you then. They need somebody to guide them, have those leadership skills you're talking about, Steve. And if they do, they will respect you more mm-hmm. even though you might have to have a couple uncomfortable conversations along the way. But at the end of the day, they're not going to not use you on a listing in the future because they will respect you. I couldn't agree more. Well, gosh, that brought up all kinds of ideas I want to talk about. Uh, <laughs> you know, doing this macro level of 
things that annoy us and things that could be done better. I mean, arguably, all the things I've done to try and raise ethics and professionalism and knowledge, you know, I'm curious if it's perceived that realtors are getting more professional or ethical and knowledgeable, excuse me, because we see all these complaints. And, you know, I got new tires at the Westland Les Schwab the other day. We have this Tahoe that we take skiing and I needed these traction tires and I pulled in, it was raining. My car was muddy because I had gone down a dirt road. It was freezing. This guy comes running out to me. He's greasy, he's cold, he's wet. And he's at my window and he's like, what can I do for you? How can we help you today? And I said, I need some tires and maybe an alignment. And he's like, great, park right here, go into the front desk. If you want to hang out here, fine. If you want to go down to Cooperstown and have lunch, you know, we'll call your cell phone when it's ready. I mean, that outstanding service is what we should be doing as realtors. And we should strive to be the realtor that we want on the other side of our transaction. Every once in a while, you get that broker that's like, gosh, this guy is awesome. We need to strive to be that awesome realtor that we so appreciate on the other end of the transaction. And Tucker, to your point, we do need to educate our clients and customers. I mean, we're driving the bus here and we're the ones with the experience and they're going along for the ride and they need our guidance on what to expect and what is going to happen. And we need to lay out the guidelines for everything we do, whether we're working with a buyer or working with a seller And one thing that I think is particularly helpful, if you go in master's in real estate, I'll throw out a couple kudos here. There's some people that everything they post, I just know it's going to be gold. Like, for example, Garrett Chadney. We were in the same office back in 91, 100 years ago. (laughs) Pretty much everything he posts on master's, I'm like, yep, that's exactly what I believe in what I think and know to be the truth. I'll give a shout out to Billy Grippo too. I mean, he's been in the trenches and been doing it long enough that you sort of figure it out. And there's only one right way to do something and most efficient way to do something. And if you follow those guys, for example, and many, many others, those are just two that came to mind, you're going to get the right answer every time. On the flip side of that, there's a few people that post that is exactly the wrong answer every single time. <laughs> Do we want to call them out too, or uh, we'll leave that anonymous? Uh, yeah. I want to. Let's let's mute the mics, and I'll tell you. I'm sure it's the same names that are rolling through your mind as well. But you know, any motivational speaker would say, model yourself after good people who are successful and figured it out. So I encourage many brokers to do that too. It'll help you in your business. Yeah, keep in mind, people, when you post on Masters, I'm looking at the site right now, and as of today, we've got 2,152 members, okay? So never post there anything that you wouldn't say in front of 2,152 people if they were lined up in an auditorium in front of you. I mean, that's a really simple, I know it sounds simplistic, but it's just, you have to say that. I mean, the same is true, I've always believed this with emails, right? If I'm going to send an email to one person, I usually take about five, ten seconds before I send it to skim it, make sure it's correct, okay? If I'm about to send an email and there's 50 people on that, shouldn't I take 
maybe not exactly proportionately, but almost proportionally 50 times longer to make sure I'm correct because it could be that much more detrimental if it wasn't. Masters in real estate, 2,152 people are on there. So kudos to the people that are adding tremendous value and doing that. And just a reminder to the others, we love your feedback. We love your questions and we want you to, to be a part of it. But take that time and just really give it that thought. I agree with you, Steve. And before we uh, wrap up this episode, because I know we all have got important things we got to do with our day, there's 2,100 plus members in the groups, which also means before you post something transactionally related, search the group. Make sure that your listing agent or your buyer's agent isn't in that group and isn't going to see you gripe or about them or their property. Just a little tip. They have a search function. You should use it. Not everybody realizes that, but now hopefully they will. So, Well, on that topic... Searching is great. First of all, we try and make a point not to call out any particular person or any particular company unless we're notifying the world of an article or a, or a suit or something that's going on that's, that's relevant. But yeah, if you're going to gripe about your transaction, it might be nice if that broker isn't in masters. And you know, think about what you post too. It's not a site for ranting. It's a site for helping everyone be better. One last thought that I didn't say, and I know we're trying to wrap up here, but one thing that I think people can do to be better as realtors is increase your knowledge base in your profession. If I got hired today to be an auto mechanic, I can honestly tell you I don't know a damn thing about auto mechanics. I would be a crappy auto mechanic. However, we have many <laughs> realtors out there that just don't understand the market correspondence, technology, how to write an offer, knowing that the eyes of a lender is going to be reviewing it well and understanding timelines. So sharpen your skills. I mean, I don't like to say we compete against each other, we cooperate, but we do sort of compete and it's you against 10,000 other local realtors and, you know, what you bring to the table has to convince these people that you are the best one. And no matter what the commission is, it's the same dollar amount when they sell it. So obviously they want to hire the best person for the job for, for that amount. So sharpen your skills, peeps. I think that's a good way to end it there, Joe. And basically hone your craft, you know? This is what you choose to do. Be the absolute best you can be at it. Steve, Joe, thanks for joining me and being a part of this episode. I think it was a good one. I don't think we offended anybody today. I think we put some good information out there as far as what to do and not to do moving forward. But this is episode 17. Steve, before we go, any last thoughts? Yeah, and we talked about this, and we are going to post this on the Masters in Real Estate, and we would love to hear from our listeners and from the group there within Masters in Real Estate what are other annoyances is probably a word we can use. Maybe we shouldn't. But what are other situations that you think could be improved upon within the real estate community? And we want to see what you have to say. We touched on a few, but we know there's so many great ideas out there. And, and let's sharpen each other and help each other in that regard. This could be a long thread, Steve. But uh, we'll see. <laughs> right, Joe? <laughs> yes, All right, guys. Sir. Well, thanks for joining us. And this is episode 17 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. Signing off till next week. Thanks again for listening to our show and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.